You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, folks? Here's a bonus episode for you this week, because why not? Who doesn't like a good bonus episode? We'll get into it in just a second, but before we do, I wanted to remind you about a couple ways you can support the podcast through your gear buying habits. So if you're looking at buying a new piece of gear, what better way than to get that sweet, sweet, sweet customer service and that sweet, sweet, sweet candy from Sweetwater. So you go to ToneMob.com Sweetwater for any of those purchases, and a little bit will come back and help support the show, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. If something used or weird or vintage is more your taste, well, Reverb.com is the place for that. So go to ToneMob.com Reverb for any of those purchases. Same idea. A little bit comes back and helps support the show, and it doesn't add anything to your purchase price. It's easy. Those are the links. ToneMob.com Sweetwater and ToneMob.com Reverb for any of those purchases. Thank you so much to everyone who is participating in that. It really helps out a lot. All right, here we go. My guest on this special episode is Mr. Tyler Larson. He is the guy behind the very popular YouTube channel, Music is Win. And if you haven't seen his videos, I highly suggest going over there and subscribing and checking him out. He's a tremendous player, a great dude, and this was a really fun chat. So let's get right into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Tyler Larson. How's it going, man? It's going well, Blake. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Of course. I'm glad to have you here. This should be a good time. I've been wanting to do this for a while. I know. I think I think the first time we met, maybe not the first time, but the last time I remember meeting was at the NAM show. Uh, summer NAM? Was it a summer NAM? I think it was a summer name last year. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. I, f- I feel like all these podcasts start with, well, last time I saw you was at Nam. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it goes in seven different directions. But yeah, that was, that was the last time we chatted. Pretty much. Yeah. That's, that's basically how everything's going. I had some messages from a guy yesterday. He's like, what are we going to do now that Nam's probably not a thing for a while? I'm like, uh, podcast uh yeah (laughs) you're you're doing it right now this is it (laughs) right your guess is as good as mine this is the this is what we're doing i guess so we have been set up nicely though you know people like us kind of already equipped to deal with something like this a little bit yeah at least from a professional standpoint yeah totally i when this all started happening i was talking to joel from chase bliss and he was like oh this sucks i'm like but Really, it does suck. I'm not going to say that it doesn't, but it sucks a lot less than it would have 15 years ago because, you know, we got streaming, we got all kinds of content sources. We can, you and I can still do our thing. Like anybody that's uh, working on the computer basically can still do their thing. Whereas like yep. 10, 15 years ago, you were your host. You're just going to be yeah. by yourself. It's it's kind of cool because I've been catching up on stuff I always wanted to, you know, have in my life. And it's sort of like a, there's certain people, whether it's through streaming movies or TV or YouTube or just content creators that I sort of hang out with now. Right. <laughs> they don't they don't know I'm hanging out with them, but like they're in my house a lot, 
You know what I mean? So it's been uh it's been a good way to combat the weird loneliness that uh that can come with being stuck inside a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you're a big part of that for a lot of people. So, you know, let's get into let's get into your story cuz I'm actually not all that familiar with it. I just know that one day I came across some viral videos of this dude shredding around on his guitar and started following you and here we are today. So, how did you get started with the the whole YouTube thing? When did you first pick up guitar? All that jazz. Uh, well, those are two diff- completely different times in my life. The YouTube thing, uh, it's sort of not that v- interesting. It's just I saw some guitar videos on Facebook in like 2014 maybe, and it was just some guy playing along to a backing track in the styles of a lot of different guitar players. And I bet a lot of people would recognize this video. I don't know where to find it now, but I bet it would come up if you search for it. Just a bunch of different styles over the same track. And I was like, I bet I could do that. And so I started making videos on my iPhone, I think it was probably at that point. And they were just terrible. You know, you look back at all your old stuff and it's just real bad. But I was doing it and it was fun and I was working for Apple also. So I was like doing a day job and trying to figure out how to make content as well as promote an educational guitar course because I spent all this time trying to learn how to edit film and make a guitar course to sell because I hated working a regular job. And uh, I finally created the course and I was like, all right, now what? So that's where the social media element came in. I was like, well, I can probably get some quote unquote fans and likes or whatever you call them by uh, making videos that don't necessarily have to do with education to sort of rope a dope people into seeing that I also teach. And that sort of just bloomed into what it is today. That's a that's interesting. So you kind of had a goal in mind. A lot of people, when I talk to, especially YouTubers, they're like, "I just wanted to try it and see what would happen." You kind of had <laughs> a thing in mind already, which is a different perspective than a lot of people have. Yeah, I definitely wanted to create a business because I came from, you know, I went I went to music school, so I was already sort of thinking about music as a career rather than a hobby and how I could parlay it into something that would provide for myself. And eventually, you know, my, my wife is, I was already married when I even started posting videos. So I was like, I just knew what I didn't want to do and working for Apple or I worked in retail. I did all the terrible things uh, that just sort of suck your soul out of your body. And uh, so I learned what I didn't want to do. And when I was playing guitar, you know, obviously it's way more fun. And I was like, how can I turn this into a business? And I didn't even know about, I don't think monetization even really existed when I started, but I just knew that having an audience maybe meant that you could build a career. I didn't know how to do it, but I just knew, you know, stepping stones that, uh, that could potentially provide an opportunity down the line and panned out. Nice. Very nice. Let's go back. I want to dig into all of that 
in more detail because there's a lot of people listening to this that would very much like a career similar to either of ours. And that's something I'm very passionate about. And our mutual friend, Mr. Wampler, we're, we're very passionate about that as well is helping people escape that if they can, because I know the soul sucking nature of it all, <laughs> yeah. all too well. But I, before we get into all that, I want to dig into a little more into your backstory. You said you went to school, but when did you first like really start paying attention to music and really start playing guitar? Uh, I would say I got serious in like my junior year of high school. So I would usually come home and I played sports throughout high school, but I would always come home and instead of doing homework, I would record songs. Um, I think I used Fruity Loops and Audacity. That was my rig. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, it was just, I wish I could find some of those recordings. They're long gone. I don't even, I think I had like some old PC that I used, my uncle gave me or something like his old PC, Windows 98 or something like that. Uh, but I just, you know, I tinkered on and off like everyone probably does around 12, 13, 14, but it mainly sat there. I don't know what made me pick it up again. Uh, you know, I know what made me pick it up in the first place. That was hearing Eruption in Cliffs of Dover, but that was when I was 12 and I didn't really know what was going on. But something made me pick it up again and not put it back down in high school. Uh, maybe it was just trying to be different from everybody else because there wasn't really a big music scene in my school. I went to a private school and it was in the boonies of New Hampshire. So that there wasn't a lot other than football players and I was skinny. So it's like, well, I have long fingers. <laughs> Try this out. <laughs> so I, I kind of just kept at it. And uh, that's, that's the origin, if you will. The superhero origin story. Yeah. Do you remember what your first like, guitar was and all that a lot of people have a similar story in that but i'm always curious what the first thing was yeah my first one was a court uh well off-white court it's basically like a strat copy probably like 50 bucks and a crappy little amp and that's it and i took lessons occasion i never really liked taking lessons I took lessons. There were a couple times when I would have good teachers, but I would just get tired of the rigmarole of having to do something, you know, from a music perspective, which is ironic because I ended up going to a music college where that was all <laughs> very important to, you know, be on time and practice or else you fail. So uh, in the early days, I had my court and my little amp and I don't think I got my first guitar pedal until that that origin that I told you, like the junior year. I think I got a nice metal zone. I think yeah. I got myself a. I think I got myself a wah pedal. Uh, I had a Marshall. My my next amp was a Marshall MG fifty mm-hmm. stack. Yeah, and uh, it was just the most digital goodness you could possibly imagine, <laughs> and um. I played like in my garage, my friends played their crappy guitar and amp and 
my other friend played drums terribly and it was all terrible, but it was all great. And that was actually the first time I filmed something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like had my, my uncle's camcorder and I filmed. Um, so it was always filming and music always kind of went hand in hand, which is interesting because there was no you know, landscape of YouTube or anything back then. MySpace was like brand new and there was no video aspect to speak of. So it was always, it was always something I wanted to like capture and look back at and things like that. Yeah. I remember the first time I thought about uploading a video to YouTube, it was like, if I'm remembering correctly, it was a long time ago. It was like, okay, you can upload it. It's going to take whatever, like three hours or four hours and it'll be processed and maybe it will be available tomorrow. Like something like that. <laughs> I, 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 now it's like, you know, instant compared to that but that's what i remember it taking a long time to actually process and be uploaded to where people could uh, view it is that is that accurate do you remember those days i mean i never even uploaded anything i I just like would record stuff and have it and watch it later and i don't know it was like this weird uh intravenous shot of nostalgia (laughs) <laughs> Even, but the nostalgia was only like 24 hours old. I don't know. It's a weird thing. I, I'm a big fan of like home movies and stuff like that, where you look back on, on stuff and, you know, things that you've forgotten. And it's sometimes I have, you know, hard drives full of old, terrible music, but every now and then, like maybe once a year, I'll sift through it and be like, Oh yeah. And, that's why I like music. It sort of transports you a little bit, not to sound cheesy, but I just really enjoy uh, the feeling that it gives you. Who were some of your favorite artists at that time? You mentioned a couple early on before you got serious, but when you really got serious, who was inspiring you? Uh, when I got serious playing guitar, it was all the, the staples, like Jimi Hendrix, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, Metallica I would say those are the big four and I would just I was lucky enough to have parents who were cool with me like cranking the uh the stereo in my room and just playing along terribly with the pentatonic scale and just like find the root over these pretty simple harmonic structures and it's like all right there I am I'm gonna I'm just gonna sit here in home base E minor pentatonic for like an hour straight, not stopping. (laughs) Just keep rewinding and rewinding the song and just, uh, yeah, those were good times. But I would say those, those four were definitely, uh, the ones that I took the most guitar influence from and probably Ozzy Osbourne too. I remember I would put on, uh, my CD player and go to bed and I would just rewind the solo. I would listen to the song up to the guitar solo. And then I would just rewind the solo section and pretend like I was the one playing it. It's like a Randy Rhodes solo. Right. And uh, I would just be like, yeah, that's me playing that. And I would listen to it like a dozen times and then go to sleep. And that was like my ritual for going to sleep. Randy Rhodes always soothes kids to bed. That's what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, apparently, um, my uh, 
my mom, when she was pregnant with me, she, uh, I don't know if this was me or it could have been my brother, but one of us, uh, she basically stood in front of a speaker at a show at a, a Metallica show. Nice. And, um, that was, that imbued me, I guess. And then it's funny cause years later when I was in high school playing guitar, I, I had just learned the one solo from Metallica and I was shredding it in my niece's face who had newly been born. She's like six days old. And I was just shredding the one guitar solo, like pretty loud in her face. And while my sister was holding her and she was just fast asleep, <laughs> but she was crying, she was crying before. <laughs> so it's a weird, uh, weird kindred spirit with my family and Metallica. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, Metallica is a big one for me. I, that was, I went from like basically nineties country to a little bit of alternative rock that my friends were introducing me to all of a sudden to Metallica. And then it was just like a deep dive into heavy stuff from there for me. And my parents didn't really know what to do with it, but they were okay with me, you know, cranking system of a down and uh, unearth and all this crazy stuff. So, you know, even though they hated it, I appreciate them for it. <laughs> it's, it's totally oh, yeah. outside their wheelhouse. You have to uh, you have to pay homage to the people who gave you your music at, at that age. You know they could have given you terrible music or like allowed you to not or not allowed you to listen or something like that. So I'm I'm happy that my dad and my brother and sister and mom, you know, they all had good taste and exposed me to to many things. It's very important. It's very important. I'm trying to trying to help my kids along the journey as well without being that musical version of the pushy football dad you know it's a weird fine line that you try to walk i'm like here here is some metal and here is some this and that and i don't know but it's it's a weird line to walk i i definitely want to try to inspire them but i don't want to shove them into it if it's not something they're passionate about it so it's a weird it's weird because both my wife and myself are very huge music fans and our kids are so young we don't really know if they're going to be yet it's kind of a a strange yeah, thing to try. You to just do. have to like, you just have to give them the option. I think I've, people have asked me like, how do I get my son to start playing or my daughter to start playing guitar? I'm like, you don't get them to, you just like, <laughs> you can buy them a thing and a, a guitar or whatever, but like you don't force them that. I don't think that works. Uh, I think it's just, you, you present the opportunity and if it clicks with them, then, you won't need to do anything. I think that's, that's a hundred percent right. I interviewed that young here. Oh, well, it's probably a year ago now, somewhere in that ballpark. And she was talking about her classical days and how it was just a competition. Like that's how that world, I'm, I'm not familiar with that world at all, but the way she explained it was that's just how that world works. It's just a, a competition constantly. And she was playing piano at the time and it kind of made her not like music anymore. Until she mm-hmm. picked up the guitar and started doing other things and then she fell back in love with it, which is it's it's interesting that you can you can make people hate music if you're not careful. That's that's definitely what I'm totally. trying to avoid. Yeah, I agree. So let's fast forward to the current times. So now Tyler has got a successful YouTube channel by 
most people's measures, I think, you know, people look up to you and they're probably hitting you up for advice. This is kind of going back to what we detoured from earlier. You know, what would you tell somebody that's looking to make a career out of music these days? Because it's completely different now than it ever has been at any point in history, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And that's part of the difficulty of telling somebody what to do is because I'm constantly, you know, learning and adapting as well. So the most difficult thing I think for musicians is just getting started in this world, because if you're not used to being in it, it can be almost like learning an instrument again. It's just completely new and discouraging and you don't know, why you're doing it sometimes. And, uh, but you know, the hardest thing with that said, like I, like I mentioned is actually just doing it and starting because like anything, if you look back a year ago, like from when you started doing something, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm this good at it now, as opposed to a year passing without ever starting. But when you thought about starting, you never did. It's like, well, I'm still at ground zero. So, any skill, you just got to start. And especially with this landscape, I think it's important to dive in blind a little bit as far as the passion goes. You just have to be passionate about what you're doing. Uh, but with that said, I do, I have answered this question before and I'm, I've got a pretty good line on takeaways it's hard to answer this question without being philosophical uh, and kind of maybe confusing somebody even more. <laughs> okay. All right. So, we'll try so, to, uh, we'll try to uh, and, and, do what we can do here. And you can fill in the gaps too. Cause you're, you're in the same, the same space. So I would say there's really three keys to success that I've found and their consistency, quality and authenticity. And my definition of consistency is basically for you and your audience, whether or not you have one yet, it's, you kind of have to think like you already have one, but if you have a consistent publishing schedule, which is your, your content, how much content you put out, uh, that's critical, I think, because it keeps you accountable. And for your audience, like I said, whether you have one or not, it establishes expectations and, I usually tell people to start, you know, assuming we're talking about YouTube here, uh, I'd recommend a video per week, but I always tell people to bank at least five or 10 videos before you even launch your project or your channel or whatever. And that keeps you from pouring your heart and soul into a video or two and blowing it out. And then, on that third week, you hit this huge writer's block or your creative wall or whatever, and you get discouraged and you kind of waste all the momentum you may have been building with your audience or yourself, you know, your, your mentality could be affected negatively. So you should just be honest with uh, what's reasonable for your output and kind of set the bar there. And once you set that schedule, you have to commit to it. That's the hardest thing to do. Um, so that's consistency. And I think that's the most important part. 
I would uh, agree with that. I I have told a lot of people that the one of the biggest mistakes I made with this podcast going go early on was I had been consistent for a while and then life happened. You know, I was working a full-time job at the time and just well, basically two full-time jobs at the time and I couldn't keep up. I got to a point where my schedule wouldn't allow me to get interviews in and I kept thinking, okay, I'm going to get one in this week. I'll crank it out. And and eventually those weeks turned into months. And so it went like three months without an episode. And who knows how many people I lost during that, that point, because I've talked to listeners that are current listeners that remember those times. And they said, Oh yeah, we thought you were done. Like we thought you quit. And so there's probably (laughs) people that like, just never came back because they thought it was it was over and that that's bad because i was i was really building momentum at that time you know i should have at the very least there was there was really no avoiding not having the episodes come out but at the very least i should have posted something saying like i'm not done i promise i'll be back you know what i mean like yeah it would have been really easy to do i just kept thinking okay i'm gonna get an episode this week and i just couldn't do it and so consistency i think is almost the most important thing. I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. It's, it's just hard. It's a grind. Like people only see or hear the finished product. They don't necessarily and the smart people and you know, the, the, the real people, which I think maybe it's growing more and more every day, the people who understand what goes into this, but a lot of people don't know, the difficulty. And I feel like sometimes <laughs> I, I want to avoid like, I feel like sometimes when content creators talk to each other, they talk about how hard their job is. So I'm not saying this is hard uh, compared to like uh, somebody who's curing cancer, but it is pretty hard. And I think that it can be overlooked until you actually try it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with that said, the resources now are, are pretty awesome. Like just this podcast, uh, the stuff we'll talk about right now is more than I ever learned, you know, but p- before starting. So it's, uh, it's important to have an open mind, but also understand it's, it's trying on your, uh, on your spirits yes. in, the, in the early days. It is, it is. And I always try to, this is a difficult thing because like coming from the blue collar manual labor world, you know, I would hear myself in 2020. If I was listening to myself back then, I'd be like, dude, what you do is not hard. Like I'm pulling this (laughs) transmission out of this large, you know, semi that is difficult. And I agree. Those jobs are much more challenging. The jobs that I used to hold are much more challenging physically than this one is. This one is more challenging in the way that you're, well, A, much more accountable because it's all you. It's you or or it doesn't happen. And then it's also like, I don't know, for me, it's hard to shut off. It's hard to not think about it and not like see, think, you know, see yourself as wasting time when you're not working on it. And that's not healthy either because you need time off. <laughs> you need to take a break once in a while, but it's hard not to once you get into the space. So when I say this, this job is difficult, I recognize that it's much easier and much better for me mentally than my old jobs were, but it's just a different kind of difficulty when I say it's hard, I guess it's what I want to preface it with in the most verbose way possible. 
Indeed. And uh, I, I hear you on that. I have found that by measuring viewership and other different metrics, uh, you know, at this stage, I have found that taking breaks is actually more conducive to healthier performance of your content and your body. (laughs) (laughs) So like, you know, when you get on a roll, you want to keep that endorphin buzz hitting. So you, you feel like you want to keep working and you know, your, your business is always in your pocket. It's your phone. So you always have, uh, you can't punch a time clock in this job. So for better or for worse, but, uh, I have found that disconnecting for a day or two at a time, which would have been unheard of for me. I was like, I have to post like this much and I got to do this, that, and the other, uh, it's actually, it hasn't had any negative impact. If anything, it's been better. So that's just, you know, from one person to another, who's also in the world. Sometimes it's, it's overlooked, but, um, I want to, I, I can say, uh, to go back to those three points I was talking about the, uh, the quality. So I said, consistency, quality, authenticity, the quality is the technical side. And that's something that people shouldn't stress over too much in the early days. Uh, it's basically the only way to improve the air that area is to keep making stuff, keep making content and learning from the inevitable mistakes. And like I mentioned at the very beginning, looking back on old content is just like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, and it's so funny cause you know, that stuff comes up when people are looking for stuff still. Those are some of my most popular videos is the real old ones. And I'm just like, Oh, that's their first impression of me. Okay. Uh, well it's fine, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but I think people find their voice and their rhythm and time, but again, just like starting is, is, is pretty difficult. So, you know, authenticity is really the passion. That's the thing that keeps it going. That kind of fuels the consistency, which usually isn't an issue. I don't think for most people who, who have been successful, it's, it's more of like a self-awareness heat check, which is like you're, you're on camera or you're on mic appearance and behavior. So I talk into the mic or I talk into the camera exactly how I talk to someone in person. And I think that comes over time. And, uh, you know, if you, if you're not yourself, people know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh, they can see it. They see right through the fake stuff. And I don't think there are any inauthentic successful content creators. I think there are like terrible, some terrible people, uh, or like, you know, people who are just D bags who found success on YouTube and social media, but they're also that way in real life. So (laughs) it's like the, the truth of authenticity, I think is, is important to recognize. Yeah. I mean, the, I've people who've met me at NAM and other places have have noticed like if anything I'm 
I'm nicer on the internet than I am in real life. Not that I think that I'm a mean person in real life, but I'm definitely like more down to like, you know, clown around <laughs> in real oh, life yeah, me than, too. and like, you know, make fun of each other and all that stuff. It's just, I just feel like there's so much negativity on the internet. I don't really want to be a part of it. So even if it's a joke, you know, even if we're just making fun of each other, of course, Wampler and I will make fun of each other on Chasing Tone all the time, but that's, we've got that rapport online at this point that people understand that it's not real, like actual meanness. And uh, so I've always made a really strong point, And I feel like you have too, to like not put out like just, you know, there's people who like to be talking heads and just trash talk things like this album came out and I think it sucks because of this and this and this. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I know those get clicks it just doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me at all. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it's hard. I don't think that is very successful these days. I think maybe there was a time when it was cool to be, you know, bashing on someone, especially in music where it's so subjective. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's hard to make fun of people in the music community, but still be likable. Like I've made a few videos in the past where they're definitely tongue-in-cheek but the only people i'm bringing down if you want to even look at it that way are people who are so wildly successful that one they'll never see that video and even if they did they wouldn't care because a thousand million worse things have been said about them right (laughs) so i i still kind of treat it like they'll see it like i've made videos about taylor swift or or things along, along those lines and i'm never disrespectful I think it's more about like creating humor that guitar players will understand uh, that's sort of tongue in cheek. But at the end of the day, I also am like, yeah, so anyway, you're the most popular artist on the planet. (laughs) Right. It kind of goes back to the people who don't know what it takes to build a YouTube channel or create a podcast that's successful. I am aware what it takes to be at that level i i don't have what it takes but i'm aware of what it takes and so there's always that underlying humility uh that i think maybe wasn't present even just a few years ago i think it's sort of more uh dialed in at least in the music community you know somebody's not going to come out and say something just completely negative without some sort of repercussion i think I think that the music community as a whole has realized how a how intertwined we are and b how similar we all are despite like glaring differences. It was really striking to me today to watch uh I don't know if you're familiar with the uh 2 minutes to late night YouTube channel, but it's yeah generally a lot of heavier musicians uh doing various covers. But what was astounding to me today was like i can't remember who all was on it but it was like uh frank from my chemical romance max weinberg and like some guys from hate breed like yeah jamie josta was on it like all these different completely different genres doing a misfits cover and it was like wow like all of these artists came together from completely different spaces like max weinberg like and Frank, like what? What's going on? I think everyone's realizing <laughs> that we're all just kind of, you know, 
different wings on the same bird for lack of a better term. Like we're, we're all just trying to do this creative endeavor. And even though the results are wildly different, we're all trying to do basically the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, that is, that is a crazy compilation of people. It is. <laughs> I would never expect. And especially that cover, like that usually when, when a strange group of musicians gets together, they do like a quote unquote standard, like a, I don't know, a Beatles song or a Hendrix song or something like that. That's funny. They went with a Misfits song. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising for the channel, but it is surprising mostly for Max Weinberg. I think. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, that dude, I, what, who was he on Conan? Was that where I first saw him? I, was it Conan or Leno? I think he was with Leno first. I can't remember. He's such a prolific drummer. I, I, I just remember seeing him on one of the late night shows yeah. and he was the first musician I was like aware of and cause it was the Max Weinberg five, right. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're, they're great. All those, all those musicians are great. And, um, I don't know. Now I'm gonna have to go look that up. It's, it's a fun series. They do a lot of, they do a lot of funny things. It's, it's like kind of a tongue in cheek situation, but generally the performances are pretty awesome. So uh, it's it's fun. Nice. I just saw it today, and I was I was just like, wow, this is just such an odd group. But it was it's weird that we kind of went down this train of of talking because I think that it you know it used to strike me as weird when you'd see festivals with with bands that, and artists that didn't seem to fit together. And the more and more festivals have became a thing, well, they were a thing. Uh, the more disjointed <laughs> they seemingly got. It was like Beyonce and Metallica. Like a what? We're doing a what? <laughs> like we're doing a what? Is there a be- is there a Beyonce and Metallica? I, I don't know. I that. just was I was just was being dumb there. But there's definitely you know re- hip hop artists and metal artists and indie bands and all playing together at the same festivals these days. At least you know pre COVID. Yeah, well, that reminds me when James Hetfield did the country thing for like a second. He did. And everyone's like, he can sing. <laughs> he did country. And, uh, when did he do country? He- he, if you look up James Hetfield CMT or something like that, I'm sure it'll come up, but he was singing some country, man. And he had a nice growling, rich, luxurious voice. That sounds and, fantastic. Uh, I think it was maybe around the, the load days when they were kind of coming into the pop realm a tiny bit. Um, but yeah, his voice is unbelievable. Like people were just thinking, oh, metal singer you can't actually sing but a lot of people don't realize that this the singers are actually singers even though they're screaming or yelling or you know sing screaming i don't know there's some amazing vocalists who don't necessarily get put in the same conversation as a traditional pop singer or whatever you want to say oh a hundred percent i i think that I personally think that artists in the metal realm are some of the most talented on the planet. And I've heard people make arguments on the guitar playing side that if classical guys like Bach or whoever were around now, they would probably be playing metal. And I, I can't really argue with that. That seems like if you listen to some of those classical compositions, they have more in common with some of the crazy metal stuff than they do with, with pop music for sure. Yeah, it's not even close. I think they would be playing metal or they would be playing 
some sort of a backwards version of their music, which is funny because classical and jazz are two completely different schools of thought and they're taught completely opposite of each other. Like I, I took uh, traditional harmony, which is based in jazz, but I also took uh, counterpoint, for example, which is based in classical harmony. So jazz harmony and classical harmony, there's rules in both and the rules contradict each other almost at every turn. So I think maybe classical musicians would have basically peaked, you know, I think, I mean, Bach did. <laughs> did <laughs> right. <peak>, so <laughs> uh, like he would have been like, all right, cool. Did that. Now what? Uh, and he would have gone on to be like some insane jazz pianist or he would play like the trumpet or something <laughs> be just like a jazz guy in New York city as somebody with literally zero formal training. I understand the concept of harmonies and stuff, but what do you mean that they, they follow different rules? Now I'm very intrigued. Is there any way you can condense this into a digestible bite-sized portion? Sure. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I can condense everything, but I'll give you examples that will make sense, even if you don't have any, you know, understanding prior, but uh, the concept of harmony uh, in jazz is you would probably be familiar a little bit, you know, like a major chord, minor chord, diminished chord, augmented chord, that in jazz and that in classical are the exact same thing. All the notes are all the same, but the way in which you construct harmonic progressions or chord progressions there are rules and in a place like berkeley where i went to school you will literally fail a test if you don't follow the rules when you're assigned to write a piece of classical counterpoint for example uh so the rules is where i i won't bore your audience with this but one rule, for example, is understanding parallel intervals, such as parallel fourths and parallel fifths, and when they're allowed and when they're not allowed. And this is obviously subjective, but it's the furthest thing from subjective as music can get because of the classical element, the, the snooty nature, if you will. Um, so you can literally write an incorrect piece of music if you're assigned to write in a certain style of classical harmony uh, in a higher education learning institution. Uh, and that obviously applies to writing for orchestras and things like that. And I think the rules stem from the way whoever invented these rules heard music and was like, I don't like that sound. <laughs> so, uh, so, that's in a nutshell, classical harmony is like rigid and, uh, you know, kind of the fundamentals of chord construction are, are key and not pun, no pun intended there, but I think the jazz harmony is a lot easier and that's why it's sort of the more adopted style of harmony among musicians and that includes rock and metal 
uh, jazz harmony is what you would be familiar with and what maybe your listeners are more familiar with where you have a, a various extensions of chords, but there really aren't rules. There are just suggestions. So you don't really want to play a flat third over a major chord, but you can if you do it in a way that is musical and makes sense and also that you can kind of understand why you did it and that you resolve it in a certain way. Uh, <laughs> so I'm getting a little into the weeds, but the difference in jazz and classical is jazz. You can manipulate things and it's a little bit looser and classical. It's pretty black and white and the voice leading elements. If you're writing for multiple voices, uh, you know, that's where you can get hung up and write incorrect notes and get slapped on the hand <laughs> with a ruler and uh, it's all you kind of have to know the rules before you break them. That's what Bach did, and that's why he's the best ever, is because he knew all these rules and then he would totally break them all. And he's like the only one who's allowed. Like he would have these parallel minor seconds that would happen over little passages, and then they would come back down into the rules and then go out of the rules. And so basically, you know, you got to be a, a famous composer who knows the ins and outs of all these contrapuntal vernacular and all these things uh, before you can become Stravinsky or something like that. That's uh that's interesting. Is, is there a, I'm not sure what the word is. Well, is there sort of a competition somewhere like Berkeley or a hierarchy somewhere like Berkeley where it's like the jazz guys are over here and the classical guys are over here and they both kind of look sideways at each other. Is that a thing? Hmm. I wouldn't say in the guitar world it is, but I think it could be there as far as instruments go. So like the guitar players are always looked down on. <laughs> the oh, guitar, player, guitar players are the bottom of the bottom because, because of all the, all the effects and the lack of understanding of harmony and you know, what the hell we're doing. Uh, yeah, that's me. You, know, you, you can be, you, you can be absolute. Yeah. I mean, there, you're not the only one. And, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's just like, it's a discipline that people have. It's sort of like, uh, you know, it's sort of classical rem music sort of reminds me of golf okay. where you have to, you have to know, all the rules. And if you don't play by the rules or you do something that's not in the etiquette of golf, everyone will be like, what the heck? What, what is that guy doing? And uh, it's sort of that same, uh, you know, reaction, I would say, or, or snootiness or astute aloofness uh, that maybe classical musicians. And I'm not saying all of them, I'm not speaking for them all, but my experience has been, some some classical musicians are like the best people ever and they can play anything. And then there's some who can also play anything and are the worst ever uh, from a musical perspective. Good people, but um, they're just very set in their ways when it comes to their craft, which, you know, it's just passion, but I don't think any one genre is, is more pure than the other. 
Well, we've dived into some, or dove, dived, that's not a word, dove, <laughs> into some more... A classical person would know. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, not this stupid punk rock idiot over here. Uh, <laughs> but one thing we haven't touched on, we're, and we're nearing the end, so we have to, is your rig these days. I know you play a lot of PRSs, but I don't know what the rest of the chain generally looks like for you. Oh, dude, well, I can tell you exactly what the current setup is because I'm about to go to a, I'm doing this virtual school and I had to assemble my pedal board for, uh, for my clinics. So I am, I'm not sure what guitar I'm going to be playing there, but you're right. I do like to play PRS guitars. They just, you know, for whatever, for whatever reason, people have, people are strat people. They're telly people. They're Les Paul people, SG people. I'm a PRS person um so my prs goes into you want me to just say the chain and then you can ask me about any of the pedals all right that sounds good because i'll just name them off and you tell me what's intriguing uh first we got the polytune what do you think about that i think that it works perfectly fine tuners (laughs) are not interesting to me (laughs) because i'm like does it tune all right good deal let's move on yeah it's beautiful. Uh, so we got the polytune going into uh, Empress Effects compressor, going mm-hmm. into Source Audio Spectrum, going That's into their digital EQ, right? Uh, no, this is a filter. Oh, okay. It's like a, it's like an auto filter. Oh, I got it mixed uh, up. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really cool. Um, and then the Pigtronics Octavia. Uh, going into Strymon Riverside Overdrive. Then that goes into the Empress Effects Heavy, yeah. which is a distortion. That goes into the Sab- Sabadeus Funky Vibe. And that goes into the JHS Lucky Cat Delay. That goes into the Wallace Audio Fathom Reverb. And then I have a loop RC1 loop station on the end beautiful beautiful T- tell me about that vibe I, that's the only one i haven't heard of before yeah that's a new addition uh so i found out about this pedal on instagram do you know rj ronkilio ronkilio oh I yeah dude. Say his last name. yeah that guy rules um yeah so i saw him playing this pedal and i was like i need that and it's like this uh it's the it's the Fillmore East version, so it's like a a very Hendrixy vibe and or chorus. There's two settings, vibe or chorus, and it actually is it takes up the most real estate. It's like two pedals worth, um, so it's a pretty big sacrifice to put it on there. But it just sounds so cool, and uh, it's just the sound that you turn on that puts a smile on people's faces. And I feel like everyone should have at least one pedal on their board that does that. That's sort of like the crowd pleaser. And it's just like it it identifies a certain era of rock music. And it's just so familiar sounding that uh, I have it on there for that reason. And I'm just like a massive Hendrix nerd. And it makes me feel little Hendrix vibes in my fingers. And uh, yeah, so that's that's that pedal. It's it's a old school kind of late 60s vibe circuit. Very cool. 
I mean, Hendrix vibes in your fingers. If if anything does that, it, it's worth having. That's that's how I feel about it. If anything gives you those vibes. Absolutely. That's really what all the pedals are like giving me vibes for my inspirations. Like the Pigtronics uh, Octavia. It's got the, it's sort of like the super colossal Joe Satriani sound. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that album, I don't know if you're familiar, but that album uh, came out when I was in high school and I've just always loved that really low gain uh, octave up sound. So you put the neck pickup on and you turn the gain down really low in the octave effect all the way up and you get these just delicious overtones when you get up above the 12th fret on the higher strings. Um, I would recommend that sound for anybody, but it's just so nice. And yeah, that's awesome. Well, to cap it all off, what amp are you going into? Uh, that is a often changing depends what I'm playing. I have a couple standbys. I really like my, PRS custom 50, which is now, I don't think they make that one anymore, but they make like an Archon would be a similar one. Uh, PRS on Zara is like an ultimate pedal platform. That's probably what I'm going to be using next week. Um, I have a bullhead Paragon, which is uh, a huge hundred watt. Awesome head, like a boutique head and uh i would say those are my go-tos i got a victory um copper deluxe which is probably got the best built-in reverb i've heard on a head before spring reverb those are probably my four go-tos but a lot of the time i'm using plugins mm-hmm. like universal audio uh the universal audio diesel vh4 is like instant tone and, you know, when you're setting up to do something, you don't want to spend a lot of time dialing in tone. I have, like, some go-to stuff. Um, I use some of the Neural DSP stuff, like the Corey Wong arch- archetype uh, that just came out is really good. Uh, I'm actually doing a video with him later this month to to use that and promote it a little bit. Um, so, yeah, lots of answers there. Amps, I'm, I'm like, a total amp fiend. I'll, I'll use whatever <laughs> as long as it's uh it meets a need. You're really making me, uh, I, I forgot for like a minute and a half about how much I want an Archon. And I was like, Oh yeah, I really want one of those. One of these days. Ugh. Oh yeah. You won't, you won't regret it, man. It's great. One of these days I'm going to scoop that up. It's I'm doing, I have a, my selection of amps that I'm I'm pretty solid and happy with, but there's a couple outliers. Like I really want an orange rocker verb, and I really want an Archon, and there's a couple other. The Archon's the one I think I haven't actually brought up before. There's a there's a handful. A fifty one fifty. I really want a fifty one fifty. It's just a handful of amps that I I really want to get my hands on. I don't need, but I want them. And that's just the state. Well, of do we being. do we really ever need it? I mean, come on. It's, Sometimes maybe. Maybe you do need it, though. You're right. Maybe if you, I do. If you redefine the word, maybe you do need it. I do need it. You're right. You've talked me into it. That's all it took. You're welcome. I need it. I need it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, all right. We have almost reached the end of the episode, and you mentioned the music school, and 
Also, thank you for uh, sponsoring the podcast these last couple of weeks. I have been telling everyone about your music school experience that's coming up. If you want to plug that and anything else that you want to plug right now, here is your time to shine. Yeah. Um, my music school is not necessarily just mine, right. but it is, uh, I've been calling it mine cause it's easier to say it that way. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> but it is definitely not just me. It is, uh, myself, Paul Reed Smith, Tim Pierce, Dennis Chambers, the Granger brothers, Brian Ewald, Mia Simone, all these really great musicians, uh, coming together for a virtual guitar camp and music camp for four days. And by the time you're listening to this, I don't know when it comes out, but it starts August 10th and you can just go to MarylandHallMusicSchool.com if you'd like to register and you don't have to be there for any of it really is your registration gives you access to the whole live stream indefinitely. So if you have to take a break or you're working or whatever, you can still enjoy all the knowledge, but it's like four, eight hour days of sessions and clinics and guitar giveaways and lots of fun stuff. So I'm really pumped about it. This is the first time we're doing it virtually and I'm working real closely with Paul on it. And that's kind of crazy and cool because I bought my first PRS when I was in college with all the money I saved up and now I'm working with him. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. That's fantastic. And for all the listeners, that link will be in the show notes. So easy peasy to get to. And it'll be coming out before August 10th. So no worries on all of that. Nice. All right. So here's the last couple questions of the podcast. And, you know, the last one is a little bit controversial. It gets people into hot water, but we won't go there just yet. We'll start with this one. What is your favorite boss pedal? Ooh, I'm not... uh, I don't know if it's my favorite one, but I just, it's the first one that came to my head, the Harmonist. Oh man, it's such a cool pedal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> may not be my favorite, but oh man, I've had a lot of fun with that pedal. I've found that people are a lot quicker on that answer than I thought they were going to be when I first started introducing it uh, after a listener and Tone Mob Facebook group moderator Jason suggested I start asking people that. I thought it was going to be a lot of ho-humming and like, time suck at the end of the episode and everyone's like this is the one (laughs) i think it's important to answer questions like that quickly yeah all right here is the last question what is your favorite kind of pizza pepperoni but the pepperonis have to be uh nicely crisp i don't like floppy pepperonis i don't like floppy pizza i like a nice uh crisp crust and if it's too much grease and flop just get it out of my face and you should never ever put pineapple on pizza oh thank you thank you my man i knew that we were getting along so well for a reason (laughs) (laughs) that's a great answer should be a sin i'll i'll sell all my guitars and smash no i'll smash all my guitars before i eat pineapple on pizza oh there you go that's a sound clip (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna take that sound clip for sure that's awesome uh since you're in Nashville, I got to ask, have you ever been to Five Points Pizza or heard of it? Five Points, I, I have been there, but let's just say I had a few adult refreshments mm-hmm. prior, so I can't give it an accurate rating, but I do remember enjoying myself. It's uh, it's one of my f- 
favorite spots in the country is five points. So you probably did enjoy yourself. I, I really yeah. like that pizza a lot. So adult refreshments aside, you, you probably did have a good time. You probably, you probably enjoyed your pizza there. It's I'm going to have to go spot. back now. Yeah, man. I think, I think it was right in the path of the tornado and somehow didn't get obliterated. If is oh, my, wow. is, is my understanding. So I'm like, if that isn't like a sign of something, you know, I don't know what is. Yeah. The, the pizza guys were looking down fondly. <laughs> There's another one I've heard that's really good called Joey's, but I've never been there. And that's also in Nashville. I've, I've never been there, but I've heard it's really good. New York style pizza. So there I've been go. here for a year and I'm still trying to find all the spots, but mafiosas is my, is my go-to now. Nice. Ooh, I've never heard of that one. Nashville is my yeah. home away from home, so I, I I look forward to going back soon. Well, we'll eat pizza when you come. Absolutely. 100%. Man, Tyler, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for everything that you do. You put a lot of goodness out into the world and a lot of people enjoy it. So, you know, much appreciated. Thank you, Blake. I appreciate you having me on your show, man. Absolutely. All right, everybody. For Tyler, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you would like a little bit more, there's, of course, some more on Patreon. More with Tyler and I talking about stuff. So, yeah, you can go over there. It's at patreon.com slash tone mob. For as little as five bucks a month, you get extra episodes delivered to your ears every week. So if this nonsense is something that you enjoy, there's even more over there for you. And by going ahead and subscribing over there, you get access to all the back catalog. And we're like at like 90-something episodes. I don't even remember. I'd have to go back and count. There are so many hours of content over there on Patreon. So that is the place to go. Also, don't forget to check out the Maryland Hall Music School That link is in the show notes for that stuff. And also check out Tyler on YouTube. Thanks so much for hanging out with me yet again. I hope you enjoyed this little extra episode. And I'll be back with you real soon with some more of that good, good stuff. All right, later. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, 
there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.